Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 5 to 11 of Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, you know, there's a question that, that often you, you hear asked or maybe you've asked it yourself where you see someone doing something and it's, it's, a, it's something they're doing and it's destructive. It's, it's not helpful. It's, it's, it's not good for them or for those around them. And we ask the question, man, why in the world are they doing that? I mean, it's a question we all ask, and, and really part of what we're asking is when we, when we see somebody doing something again and again in that way where we know it's not helpful, we know it's destructive, we, we ask this question, man, man, will they change? And really what we're asking is, man, how do people change? And in fact, I would make it even more personal. Maybe, maybe the question this morning for us is this, how do I change? And it's, it's not a church thing. It's not a, a religious thing. It's, it's a question everybody asks. It's the, the heart cry of, of humanity where we ask, how do I change? How, how do I overcome this? How do I overcome this behavior? How do I overcome this thought pattern? And, and so, so because that's a question we ask often, we can be hardwired to look for solutions. So we're drawn to, you know, things, five ways to change, three guaranteed strategies to transform your life. And, and there's, a, there's a whole industry that, that fills the self-help section of Amazon. There's a whole online industry that, where there's influencers that are promising, hey, if, if you just watch my YouTube channel, if you just follow my Instagram feed, if, if, if you do that, your whole life will be changed. You will be improved. And the problem with that is, is that you circle back in a few months and there's a whole new product to be sold. There's a whole new bunch of books, a whole, a whole new list of strategies. And In fact, I would say it this way. If you picture your life as though you're in this boat and the self-help gurus like all religions are yelling out at you in your boat, row harder! And they might offer some, some technique, some way of improving how you roll the boat. Or maybe they'll say, hey, here's a bigger oar or, or a better oar you can use. But it's still all about rowing, all about trying harder. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, look at Romans 8. Look at verse 1. Look what it says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. How many of you guys had that one memorized? You started memorizing it yet? You're like, I got that one dialed. I had those two verses, all right? It says the, the law of sin and death. Here, here's what that is. That's all about row harder, follow more rules, do good works. But here's the problem with that. If, if that's what we're going after, listen, the standard that God lays on us is perfection. It's perfect holiness. So, so no matter how hard we row, it'll never be enough. And, and the problem is it's not just our outward actions. I mean, we, we can fake it till we make it pretty good for, for a certain amount of time, but it's not just that. It's, it's the heart behind the actions. So we look at this idea of what it looks like to live the Christian life, and, and we need a deeper change. And, and this is where the law of the Spirit is so important. That in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
So it's not about rowing harder. It's, it's, it's about no longer living under sin and now submitting your life to Christ. And in fact, I would say this. You're not on a rowboat in Christ. You're now in a sailboat, and you're, you're setting your sails in a way that you catch the wind of God's Spirit. I mean, that, that's what it means when it says in Ephesians 5.8, be filled with the Spirit. It's setting your life in a way where the Spirit comes and fills you, controls you, empowers you. I love Romans 8 because it leans into just what does this mean on a practical level for me to live this out? That's where God's word is so clear for us. There is a deep and lasting change that can actually be yours today. But, but it's going to take you on a journey. It's going to start in a place that's an uncomfortable place for most of us to begin. We don't like starting in this place. It's going to start in this. It's going to start with confession. It's a bit of a church word. Let, let me make it more accessible for all of us. That, that idea is this. The first step we get to is you own it. You own it. Where you recognize the problem is not out there. The problem is me. And that's not a popular take today. People don't like that. Uh, you, you won't become a great influencer on, on, on the internet if that's your thing. Going, hey, here's the greatest problem. It's you. Right? Because think about how this typically plays out. If you're in a relationship that's struggling, that's not doing well, right, and then somebody asks you, hey, where's the struggle? We most often, what do we do? We point to the other person's sin. We blame, we excuse. But just a heads up, when we want to see a life change, when we want to see healing and growth and change in our life, the first step is a non-negotiable where we see our own stuff. And listen, we own it. Because when you get to that place where you see your sin, your brokenness, you can move to the next step from, from owning it and you move to repentance, which again, just a church word, all it means is you turn. You change. You, you, you're going in this direction and you literally go, that's not the direction I'm going anymore. That leads to death. I don't want that anymore. I want to change my direction and go this way. I want to pursue after Christ. I want to put my life under the gospel. And listen, it's not just a change of action. There's a heart and a mind and a, and a will change. I'd say it this way. If you're, if you're battling anger and somebody ticks you off or something going on in our world right now is making you mad and you grit your teeth, you're like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you're lucky because I would have just punched you in the neck otherwise, right? I mean, that's good, right? I mean, the, the alternative is worse. You're going around punching everybody in the neck. That's not good, right? But, but the, that's not enough, is it? There, there needs to be a heart change where you begin to ask the question, in that moment, why was I so angry? What is it about this situation that's made me so upset? What, what am I grasping for? What am I trusting in? What am I not getting that I so desperately want? That's a heart. A heart that's looking to change. A, a desire that's saying, man, I want to turn that desire in a different place. And here's where we really start to dive into the text we have this morning. When you see it, when you own it, when you begin to repent of it, you, you need to come to this place at a heart level for that to happen where you embrace gospel hope. You see your sin, you, you, don't ex, you, don't, you don't blame anymore, you don't excuse it anymore, but you're crying out like Paul does in, in chapter 7, verse 24, who will rescue me? It's in that moment you embrace verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To, to recognize in that moment that Jesus died to change you, and not just your past, and, and it's not just as you wait for a future perfect change, but Jesus changed you now. Right now. And the reason Romans 8 is so amazing 
It's so compelling, so encouraging. It's because of the gospel hope that now God's invaded your life and he's transformed you from the inside out. That, that he's changed and changing your desires. That he's changed and he's changing your will, your heart, your thinking, and all of that leads to a changed life. I love that because the gospel doesn't just give you a new set of behaviors. The gospel gives you new desires. Empowered, driven by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so now when you read that, that word, the, the phrase in, in verse 1 that says no condemnation, it's not just a theological statement. It's, it's a statement about your condition, about who you are in Christ. So when Paul says there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he means that, hey, you're now living a new reality of life. A new relationship that you have with the God of the universe so, so that everything about who you are, everything about what you do is now changed. And so that's why when Paul says there's no condemnation, he goes to where we're going this morning. He begins to talk about, and because of that, you're walking in the Spirit. So, so no condemnation, walking in the Spirit, they're, they're actually linked together. So when we embrace gospel hope, when we set our sails in that direction, where our heart and our mindset begin to move to the gospel, listen, from there, there is a power that leads to life change. So quickly, let, let's see how this is played out. Look at verse 5 there. What you're going to see in verse 5 is our first point this morning. It's this, I set my mind on the Spirit. So where does change come from? I, I set my mind on the Spirit. Because in, in verse 5, Paul's asking, hey, what is it that drives your life? Where's your mindset? Where's your heart drawn? Look at verse 5. It says this. For those who live according to the flesh, now that word flesh there, it's, it's another word for sin, old self. When you set your mind on sin, you're setting your minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here's another way I would word that. Here's what Paul's asking. He's saying, who are you listening to? What, what you listen to determines what you long for. So, so, so what voices are you listening to? To, to recognize that, that all the media that we consume, all the social media, from, from TikTok to Facebook to Pinterest to Instagram, all the movies, all the music, all the news, everything that you're, you're listening to, listen, it's not just informing you, it's forming you. Did you catch that? It's not just about information. It's, in, it's not just informing. You're, you're actually having your longings, your desires, your thoughts being formed. And so we need to ask this question this morning. This question is going to be overlaying this whole sermon this morning. What voices am I listening to? What voices am I listening to? Where, where am I setting my sails? See, because if you're a Christ follower, there's a, a new voice that says something totally different about you. Totally different over you. I mean, you see the result of, of choosing what voice you're going to listen to. Look at verse 6. You're choosing death or life, depending on the voice you listen to. It says, for the mind set on the flesh, set on sin, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. We're led by what we long for. And, and, and listen, none of us here would say, man, I long for death. I want my life to be a train wreck. That's why I'm making these choices. We don't say that, but listen, our longings drive us to these choices. It's, it's why you ever do this where you buy something, you're like, why did I buy that? 
I don't need that. Or, or we do things that we know are wrong. We, we know they're destructive. We, we know that if I say this, it's going to hurt this relationship. If I do this, I know it's going to do it. But we do it anyway. Why, why do we do that? Because at the core of those choices is this deep longing. And as we listen to the flesh, as we listen to sin, our longings lead us to find their hope, their fulfillment, their answer in what sin offers. And there are times when, when if, I, if I choose this, if I burst out in anger, man, it's going to feel good in the moment. It's going to answer that longing that I've got. If you lie to look good, if you gossip to knock somebody down, if you pursue after comfort and things you know aren't the place to find comfort. Listen, listen, when we want these things, comfort, control, acceptance, significance, hope, our hearts are drawn by those longings, and that longing will be answered by whatever voice we listen to. One leads to death, and one leads to life. And so to have new life, to have a life lived in the power of the Spirit, we set our minds on, we, we listen to the things of the Spirit. Now, even in saying that, it can get kind of weird in church when we say, listen to the Spirit. Like, what is this? I thought, like, is the Spirit a force? Like, I get that tingly feeling during worship. That's the Spirit, right? Now, the, the Spirit's the third person of the Trinity, and so, so when the verse here says, set your minds on the things of the Spirit, it doesn't mean on the subject of the Spirit. No, no, no. You're thinking about what the Spirit thinks about. Now, I would say it this way. If I were to set my, my mind on the things of my wife, what does that mean? It means I'm concerned with things that concern her. What she loves, what, what drives her. And, and my relationship with her grows the more I set my mind on those things, the things that she loves, the things that drive her, the things that concern her. And our relationship grows cold when, when I only think about me. Our relationship grows cold when, when my mind is set on so many other things or so many other people, right? Maybe you've had this, if you're married, you've, you've had this question asked of you, we're like, are you listening? Hey, are you here? Why is that question being asked? Because your mind is not being set on the person that you're with. And it's the same with the Spirit of God. So how do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit? We, we think about the things that the Spirit of God thinks about. We love what He loves. We, we seek after the things He seeks after. So, so what are those things? Well, what does the Spirit love? Well, we know the Spirit loves this. The Spirit loves God's glory. I want to live my life for God's glory then. The Spirit's about truth and, and beauty and justice and, and righteousness. The Spirit's about a, the love He has for the church and the people around you. Do you love God's people? The, the Spirit of God is about the fame of Jesus Christ, the spread of His message. The, the Spirit of God is about people being saved and delivered and empowered. The Spirit of God is about patience and goodness and kindness and purity and forgiveness. And in fact, the Bible sums it up this way. Here's what it looks like. Just live like Jesus. That's a mindset on the Spirit, that, that your daily walk, how, how people see you, how you respond to the circumstances of this crazy season. Look and live like Jesus. It's like, okay, thanks, Pastor Kai. Let's close in prayer. That seems pretty easy. I'll just be like Jesus. It's impossible. I, I can't do that. Exactly. That's where you come back to the hope of Romans 8.1. And you embrace this gospel hope. That, that, that when you see where your life is not living and in, in, in loving what the Spirit loves, you repent, you turn back, you celebrate the gospel, you set your sails here where you say, I'm dead to that sin. 
I don't trust that anymore as my hope and my Savior. It's not the voice I want to listen to any longer. I put my hope fully and completely in Jesus. His life lived in my place. His death in my place. His resurrection that now gives me resurrection power. That now I'm filled with the Spirit. And this is so cool. As you dwell on those things, as you set your sail to the gospel, as, you, as you're listening, as you're living in, in this relationship with the Spirit of God, your life begins to bear fruit spiritually. There's things that begin to grow out. There's things that begin to change about you because the fruit of the Spirit, it's the result of the Spirit's presence in your life that wherever the Spirit is, the fruit is going to grow. In fact, let me use a different illustration than a sailboat. Think, think of a tree that, that when you place the roots of your life your, your heart's desires, when you, when you place those roots deep into the gospel, the fruit of the Spirit is what grows. If you're placing the roots of your life deep into sin, the fruit of sin is what grows, right? An apple tree produces apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree from the branches right down to the roots. So again, you, you put your hope, you put your roots, you put your life, what you treasure deep into Christ. And what's going to happen is the fruit of the Spirit, the one who has changed you to be that way, you're going to produce fruit. So when you're treasuring Christ, when, you, when you're giving Him the greatest voice in your life, there will be the fruit of the Spirit on display. Supernaturally. Like I heard somebody say this, you, you're listening to the Spirit as much as your weakest fruit is growing. So if you're like, yeah, but I mean, I got this whole grace thing dialed, but you're struggling with another fruit of the Spirit. You say, man, I want to listen to the Spirit of God. I want to align my life. I want to set my sail to be filled with the power of the Spirit, to live out this thing that does not naturally come out of me. So when it happens, I go, man, that's God at work, because I naturally do not do that. Look at verse 7 and 8 as we continue on. It says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's our second point. The first one is that, that you're, you're going to live, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The second is this. I no longer listen to the flesh. I no longer listen to the flesh. You read those verses and how, how they describe what it is to be somebody who's listening to the flesh. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains the verses this way. He says, as a Jesus follower, when you choose to sin, it's not like you're breaking the laws of the state. It's not like you've broken what laws our government sets over us. He says, as a Jesus follower, it's more like a spouse who's done something in the marriage they shouldn't have done. It's not breaking the law. Listen, it's wounding the heart of their spouse. When we choose sin, we listen to sin. When, when you rebel against God, when, when, when you walk away from him, when you set your sails in a different direction, listen, you're grieving the spirit of God. And we can excuse sin so easily where we can say, well, it's not that bad. I'm not really hurting anybody. And, and when we say that, we miss the greatest impact of, of, of sin, which is this. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. It's, it's removing us away from, cutting us off, damaging the relationship we have with him. We don't hear him as clearly anymore. Our sails are not filled with the power so much anymore. 
I mean, look at verse 7 and 8. You see the damage done to the relationship with God. It's, it's described by this voice that's, that's listening to sin. There's this life that's listening to the voice of sin. It says there's a hostility to God. You're setting yourself against God. You're saying, God, I know you're telling me to walk this way. I don't care. See here, you're unsubmissive to God. You're not just saying, God, I don't even believe you. I don't believe that what you offer me leads to life. I want to choose this. Wasn't that the, the original sin with Adam and Eve? God says, I've given you everything. And they said, I think you're holding back. So, so we want to take this fruit that you won't let us have because you're holding out on us. We don't believe you actually care about us. And so what do we do? We seek after the, the thing we want, the longing we have, and we go outside of what God's called us to. It says in these verses, you're... you're totally powerless in this. If you're fully in the flesh, you can't even submit. There, there's no power in it. This is your condition before coming to Jesus. But listen, as a follower of Jesus, in and of yourself, doing it in your own strength, you're still powerless. You become powerful to live in this way by submitting to the Spirit. Again, it's that I'm going to own this. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to embrace gospel hope again. Sails set, filled with the power of the Spirit. Finally, it says in verse 8, you can't even please God. And that, that statement's tragic. It's saying you're, you're outside of God's favor. That, that verse there, it's the exact opposite of verse 1. Because this statement there, you can't please God, it's a, it's a statement of judgment. Your life dangerously broken. Your, your desires, your motives, your actions, all in opposition to God. And so again, I ask this question, what, what voices are you listening to? Verse 7 and 8, it's, it's a dark picture. It's, it's a, a person who's powerless, rebellious, lost, dead. But look at the start of verse 9. Here's this amazing verse of hope. All that, this is what it looks like to, to be listening to, to sin instead of the Spirit. But he says this, you, however, I love you, you. It's no longer the one who is. Now Paul's getting personal, saying, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's saying that whole life of, of not pleasing God, of, of being powerless, unsubmissive, hostile towards God. He says, this isn't you. This is not who you are. You're not ruled by sin anymore. You're not a slave to sin any longer. You, you don't have to obey it anymore. Now, now, the presence of sin still makes it hard, right? The, the voice of sin is still there and can be so loud. But I, I think of it this way. If you remember the story of the... Um, Israelites, when they, they were delivered from Egypt by God, and at the, at that moment they're delivered, they're no longer slaves. They're totally set free. They, they have a new master. Now, Pharaoh's no longer their master. They now have Christ. They now have God as their, as their king, as their Lord, the, the one who loves them and redeems them and saves them. But, but remember that story. They get to the edge of the Red Sea, and who comes after them? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, man, I, why did I let these guys go? And he, he starts coming after them. Now, 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 in that moment, as Pharaoh's chasing them down, they are already free, right? But, but Pharaoh, and in fact, the, the words in Scripture actually says this, where, where Pharaoh's saying, you're mine. I own you. I'm bringing you back to Egypt because I own you. And listen, Satan will press in on your heart, even as a Christ follower, will press in on your heart saying, I still own you. You're mine. Listen to me. I mean, th think about the Israelites. For 400 years, they've lived in slavery. When God steps in as the rescuer, he says something so different about them. He says, listen, you see yourself as a slave, dirty, beaten, bruised, abused, stained by sin. 
God says, but you're mine. You're purchased by the cross of Christ. You're my possession. He says, you're my treasure. Again, who are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? Who do you believe? Do you believe the voice of the enemy or do you believe the voice of the Redeemer? Verse 9 says this. It says, you are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Here's our last point this morning. It's this, I have new life. That's what that verse is saying there in verse 9. It's saying, I have new life. It says, if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit in you. If you're a follower of Christ, you belong to Christ. You're His. He says, you're my treasure. You're not owned anymore by your sin. You're not owned anymore by that label that was placed on you. You're not owned anymore by the choices that you've made. He says, you're mine now. And something about you has irreversibly, eternally changed. Why? Because Jesus sought you, he, he, he bought you, he saved you. He's, he's right now in the process of changing you. So again, becoming more righteous is not about working harder. It springs from the joy of, of knowing who you are and allowing the Spirit of God to work through you because you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. I like that word, dwells in you. The Spirit of God isn't just visiting you for the weekend, right? He set up a home in you. You're, you're not doing this life alone anymore. You now have the freedom to say yes to what the Spirit loves. So again, my question is this. Are you listening to Him? Are you treasuring what He treasures? Or are you submitting to Him? I've heard it said this way, the, the amount of spiritual power you're experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of, of the spirit you have, but how much of you he has. Are you submitted to him? Are you in fellowship with him? Again, who are you listening to? If right now you would say, you know what, in my life so much right now, I'm listening to the voice of sin, then I would say this, own it. Own it, where you would say even this morning, my, I'm, I'm seeking the answer to my heart's longings in something other than the gospel, other than the Spirit of God. Own that and, and repent. Turn, turn. Look at where you've set yourselves. I'm, I'm going after hope in this direction. I want to turn. I want to go after this. I want to set my heart in the gospel to listen to the voice of God. N not self-help, not self-improvement, but saying, I already have the Spirit in me. I want to live in that fellowship. I don't want to grieve Him, but I want, I want to love Jesus, I want to treasure Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to submit my life fully to Jesus. I mean, to surrender means where you would say, all of me belongs to you now. Your voice is the voice I listen to. And I like how C.S. Lewis says it in Mere Christianity. He says this, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents and money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you, all of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the sinful flesh, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I, I don't want only a, to, to prune a branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. All your desires, all your wants, all your wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I'll make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I'll give you myself. My will will be your will. My heart will become your heart. 
That's a sail set to the Spirit. It begins in total surrender. Because as the worst team comes up, I want you to look at verses 10 and 11. Look at the life you get. Look at the hope that's yours. Look at the power expressed in these two verses. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, you're still wrestling with, still struggling with sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not your righteousness, because of Jesus' righteousness. And it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you're a Christ follower, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Here's what I love about those verses. They're not just a future event. This is present tense. If the Holy Spirit is, has control and, and you have your mind set on the Spirit, then, then He has control over your mind, your mouth. He has control over your, he has His new life to pour into your marriage, into dating, into friendships, into your career, into school. There'll be life in it like there never was before. That God's kingdom is, is, is being brought to bear even in the midst of a broken world and broken people. I love it. It's, it's not about trying harder. It's the, the power of God at work in you as you align your life, as you set your sail to his desires, as you live out of the reality of who you already are in Christ. That's our hope. That's our freedom. That's our life. So as we close, let me ask you this. Where do you need to surrender? Where do you need to turn the sails this morning? Where have you forgotten who you are and, you, and you've forgotten you're no longer under condemnation? Because before we leave today, when you step out of these doors, you're going to be inundated with so many voices. Voices that want to draw those longings of your heart. Voices that want to draw you to nothing but pain and death. And so I want to encourage you right now, in this moment, right now, just reflect on this question. What voice am I listening to most? What is my heart seeking? And ask God to show you that so, so you can go out of this place to put the, the voice aside that's not the voice of the Spirit, to listen more, to, to rehearse the truth of who you really are in Christ, to, to fill your mind with the beauty and treasure of Christ. To begin even right now to start killing sin where it is because you see where your heart's really seeking after. You're seeing the longing that goes beneath the action. You're saying, Lord, I'm seeking after the wrong thing to meet that longing. You'd listen to the one who brings life to that desire. That's the voice you listen to when temptation comes. That's the voice you listen to when Satan tempts you to despair. So when we ask that question, we're going to sing right now, what is my hope in life and death? It's this, that your souls are not yours anymore. They don't belong to us. They don't belong to our sin anymore. They don't belong to the lies of the enemy. He says you're mine, but it's not true. You belong to Christ and Christ alone if you put your hope in him. And so we get to stand and live and move in his love, in his goodness, in his power. And we stand knowing this, he's taking care of our greatest need. care of our sin through the cross. He's, he's fulfilled our greatest longing, and it's this, that we have him, all of him. And now we have a hope that springs eternal. We have a life that's hid in Christ alone. Would you stand with me as I pray?
Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have a hope that the pains of this world can't touch. That we have a life that's promised that none of the, the lies of the enemy, none of the promises of the world will ever bring life to, but we know we have full and true life. And so we begin this morning in that place of surrender, that place of celebrating the gospel so that we can say, listen, I know where my heart is. I know where it's not, where, where the sails are not set to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so this morning I turn. And I celebrate that I can turn because of Christ. I celebrate that there's no condemnation for that sin. But instead, I have Jesus. He's my hope. He's my hope in this life. He's my hope in death. He brings new life where there was none. And this, this is how we change. Thank you, Jesus, for that power. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.